and welcome to the JB Loves Beer podcast, featuring reviews, reactions and opinions on all things beer. Join me, JB, on my odyssey through the world of craft IPAs, pales, stouts and saisons. Episode S-E-V-E-N. Apologies for the small lapse in my normal schedule. Real life has a dastardly habit of being demanding now and again, and it prevents you from putting together your beloved beer podcast. But here I am, with a treasure trove of brew reviews. Now, I promised at the end of the last podcast to place under the microscope some beers from the godlike genius of the brewing world, which is Verdon Brewing Company. But in order to up the ante, I'm going to do a compare and contrast slash battle royale between two verdant toolboys and two challengers from the up-and-coming garage beer company from beautiful Barcelona. So let's hop straight to it, pun intended, and see what the creatives from Cornwall and the trailblazers from Catalonia have concocted. Don't Tell Gus is an 8% ABV Double India Pale Ale from Verdant. The can art was simply gorgeous on this one, a homage to Roy Lichtenstein's pop art, with the lower half of a blonde woman asking for quiet and whispering to you to not tell Gus. I can only assume that the big secret here is how they made this masterful beer. It pours a dense custard yellow to almost orange with a solid white head, reeking of hops and citrus. The flavour was much softer than I'd anticipated, reminding me of powdery sweets. This disappeared in moments, from pour to pitcher to stomach in record time. Amazing. Five out of five. Golden Blue from Garage Beer Company is a 5.7% hazy, almost New England IPA, bursting from its red can adorned with a golden piggy bank. Now, this is a good match to go toe-to-toe with Don't Tell Gus, as... Aside from the ABV, the look and pour of this was pretty symmetrical, other than Golden Blue's looser head. The aroma was super fresh oranges and pineapples, and this carried through to the flavours, so more juice, higher bitterness, less featheriness than Verdant's offering, however. On balance, I'm sticking with the home team for this half, so it's a 3.5 out of 5. Mary Lou, a 5.2% pale ale from Verdant, reignites proceedings, bringing some blissed out summer vibes in both art and beer form. Again yellowish with a bouncy head, tropical fruits and flowers to smell, grassiness and pine to taste. Higher carbonation here than the previous two, but with a creaminess to swallow. A flat 3 out of 5. Now, perhaps I'm not comparing apples with apples here, but Garage are hitting back next with Trouble, a 6.2% NEIPA collaboration with Willem. This similarly little crimson can bears the sigil of an ebony horse, and sure enough, this is a dark horse indeed. Golden orange, flamboyantly loose head, peaches and mangoes to smell and taste, pithy and soft on the swallow, This feels like easy drinking, a steady choice, a solid and reliable drop. 3.75 out of 5. So in conclusion, whilst Verdant definitely produced the best beer in Don't Tell Gus, this little 1v1 is 
a score draw. Generally speaking, Verdun are an absolute workhorse and powerhouse when it comes to chugging out good beer. I get a small thrill whenever I see new cans of theirs on the shelves and will often go well out of my way to acquire their bits and pieces. If ever I need to recommend a brewery, they are the first to trip off the tongue. Garage Brewing Company I have great respect for too, although I know less about them and have sunk less of their beer. More recent stuff by them has tended to be better, I would add. My first experience uh, with their work was their soup IPAs, which people raved about on Untapped and Instagram, but which I felt was weak and rather uninspiring. So great to see them find form and long may it continue. short bit of opinion and pontification on what's been going down in the world of craft beer over the last couple of weeks. Firstly, probably the big piece of news, if you will, is that the Bottle Shop, uh, who I've spoken about a number of times before on podcasts, uh, which recently went bankrupt and liquidated itself, owning sites obviously on the Bermondsey Beer Mile, in Margate, in uh, Canterbury, and also having the distribution arm, that has now been bought by Beerhawk. Now, Beerhawk are kind of a beer distribution business as well, very similar, in fact, probably a little bit bigger now I think about it, but um, they also have a bottle shop on the South Bank in London. I say the South Bank, you have to kind of go back a few roads to find it. It's a very weird place, it's full of suits, which I guess is fine, but the... Uh, I don't know, it has a strange atmosphere, shall we say. The, the kind of offer was fine, but the atmosphere was odd. Now, they've bought the bottle shop or the remnants of it, and the thing is, Beerhawk are owned by AB InBev, so one of these huge beer conglomerates who engage in a whole range of undesirable practices, always looking for ways to kind of squeeze out indie craft brewers, looking for ways to kind of, you know, uh, monopolise the lines that are available in pubs and so on, um, you know, paying people off to only stock their... Brewer, uh, breweries and their kind of produce and again trying to squeeze out the little guy and that's sad I think it's really sad and I think it is going to upset the ecosystem of the Bermondsey Beer Mile a little bit they're going to be um, a challenge to these small indie brewers and I think you know also that because they'll be able to compete on price in a way that these other brewers can't it will mean that money is going to start going that way customers are going to go that way or at least maybe I know if everyone's kind of voting with their money they will but they're voting with their heart hopefully the brewers will do well and who knows maybe it'll be a positive thing I, I don't see how I just see money going into a very large beer conglomerate who has a bad history of making breweries water down their beer and reduce the quality of their products and all for chasing that extra penny or that extra dollar or whatever it might be and that's disappointing but there we go so the bottle shop uh, rest in peace turns out rest in pieces and the pieces have been bought by AB and Bev but we'll wait and see furthermore carrying on from this point Beerhawk again owned by AB and Bev have bought beer bods now beer bods are one of those kind of businesses that sell you a uh, subscription and you get a box of beers like every month people have been member for years I don't actually know it I've never personally bought anything from it so I've had to do some research about it turns out it's very well loved and people have been members for years they've been bought by Beerhawk so again they've been kind of sucked up by one of these large businesses and of course they're making all the claims of well nothing will change everything will be the same we're still going to do the big customer service piece and I know it's not a brewer but they are you know, selling craft beer, real ale craft beer, and what's the impact going to be? I, what I can imagine happening is that Beerhawk or AB and Bev are going to say, well, we really want you to sell our beers, our breweries, uh, and their produce, so can you stop selling kind of 
more independent stuff and that's going to affect those indie craft brewers so i think again kind of a negative thing um but i guess we'll wait and see i don't see myself buying anything from beer bods maybe i should just get over it but i feel for the other consumers you know fellow kind of beer brothers and sisters out there who now are going to have their monthly box affected but we'll wait and see next Brewdog, once again, have stirred up a bit of controversy by claiming to reinvent slash reimagine slash save Real Ale. Now, obviously, Real Ale and um, craft beer, same, same, but different. The whole kind of cask versus keg debate, it could go on forever. Um, there was a period of time over the last few years where it looked like cask was kind of on its arse and dying, but now it's had a resurgence because a lot of kind of craft beer heads are now really into sparklers or not sparklers when it comes to their Real Ale. But Brewdog, of course, being Brewdog, had to, you know, stick their oar in and get involved and they made the big claim of they've reinvented cask ale. I haven't been to a Brewdog bar yet to experience it. I don't imagine they're going to have reinvented anything. And I don't mean that in a negative way. I just don't think it's something that necessarily needs reinventing. What it does need is more education around it. What I tend to find is people either don't understand real ale, and sometimes I include myself in it. Every now and again I get something, I'm like, is this good, is this bad? I don't know. Um, but the bigger thing really is that cask beer is often stored in pubs very poorly and that means the quality of the product when it comes out the tap is really low and I think that's the thing that turns people off real ale not the fact that it's technically room temperature or you know at least a little bit chill because it's come from a cellar not that it's flatter than a cask sorry a keg beer which would have a carbonation to it but that it's often stored poorly it's stored for too long it's allowed to sit in the lines and the flavors go weird and strange and odd and then before you know it it's actually disgusting you're thinking why have I spent money on this which is why I think people might be more likely to kind of reach for keg or reach for a can knowing that the quality is going to be more consistent so you know what in a sense the fact that Brewdog are even talking about cask as are other brewers Cloudwater are back on cask a few other places too uh, I guess it's a good thing and you know having some movers and shakers in that area means that hopefully it will drive up the quality and maybe we'll improve this whole kind of education angle that I'm talking about so people start to store and then deliver cask better and then maybe we'll see a cask renaissance but we'll wait and see so Brewdog being controversial no big news but it's always nice to mention them and I'm still a proud equity punk in that respect Finally, the Great British Beer Festival, which is hosted in Olympia every summer, has for the first time decided it's going to um, have beer on keg. Now, GBBF is hosted by Camera, the Campaign for Real Ale, who are a very interesting and strange organisation who are, of course, militant in their love of cask, and I admire that, but often as a result of that militancy, tend to be quite elitist and therefore look down their nose at keg and well they got lapped i would say to be honest craft beer stuff was on kegs stuff was in can people love it and it does really really well and then cask appears to be this kind of almost dying genre the fact that they're allowing keg in i think is a good thing because it means that people who are into keg are going to go there and they might then try out cask or they might be more open-minded to cask and so anything that diversifies the industry diversifies the types of people going to these types of things i think is important i think is good and I hope that Canberra, who recently kind of rejected a whole bunch of uh, potential changes to their constitution about including keg and um, into their kind of 
understanding and definition of what beer is and what needs to be protected, I hope they start to kind of think about it and change their mind and that they might start to update their views and update their kind of approach and then maybe they'll be more inclusive and then maybe, you know, cask drinkers and keg drinkers and can drinkers can stand arm in arm all about kind of protecting good beer rather than kind of focusing on this, the minutiae of like silly, ridiculous, almost geeky, nerdy discussions over cask. It's just ridiculous in many ways. So well done GPBF for having keg. I'm not going this year. I've been once. It terrified me because of all the kind of the cask heads who are completely obsessed and just terrifying looking. Instead, I think I'll save it for smaller festivals, which are a little bit more accessible and less elitist, shall we say. Next up, a live review from Spartan Brewery. I mentioned earlier that I recently went on the Bermondsey Beer Mile once again, and whilst I was there, I swung by the Spartan Brewery. I had a specific reason for going there, and I'll mention that in the live recording. Small heads up slash apology. By this point, I'm probably about three or four breweries in, and therefore three or four pints in. And so there's a slight slurriness to my speech, which I'm sure you'll forgive and understand. Also, to be fair, I am suffering quite heavily from... Um, hay fever. I think you can kind of tell on this day that the uh, pollen count was quite high, so you can definitely get a sense of that as well. Not a great mix, but uh, I'm sure you'll forgive me. Anyway, here we go. Right then, it feels like a long time since I've done a live podcast recording, but here I am, currently on the Bermondsey Beer Mile, down the tiny little alleyway that used to host Partizan, but the specific archway now has Spartan beer in it. Um, they are kind of a real L outfit with a kind of craft beer edge, I would suggest. And I was kind of fortunate. I was lurking on Twitter recently and I saw they were doing a bit of a competition where they were trying to get someone to um, name what beer was in a kind of unlabeled can because it was a new can of theirs, a new beer of theirs. And I guess that it was mild, but I didn't quite guess whether it was light or dark. And someone else kind of snuck in after me and stole my prize. And I kind of, you know moaned because why wouldn't you and they were like okay con you can have a beer as well so sure enough they promised me a couple of beers and being impatient a couple of weeks later i was like where's my beer at and they were like well, actually we're boxing it up and then i decided instead you know what why not just go on the Bermondsey Bone mile come and meet the guys here and collect it in person so here i am and lovely lovely people really kind nice individuals who uh you know explained what the story was all about in terms of this place and what their beer was all about and then actually even gave us a couple of free halves of course they are you know my favorite people now it's you know it's the partisan archway but it's the spartan beer now and it's great it's full of people outside there's loads of pallets it's got to be the hottest day of the year so of course there's a bajillion people out and everyone's you know drinking nice beer having a lovely time there's music playing, they are serving both stuff on keg and on cask. A few bits and pieces obviously in the fridge as well. Beautiful, absolutely beautiful. So if you find yourself on the Bermondsey Beer Mile, and everyone indeed should, then definitely, definitely make sure you make time and space for Spartan. It's right next to Affinity Beer as well, uh, Brew Company, sorry. So, you know, you can catch them too. Wonderful, wonderful stuff. And the beer I'm enjoying is, I think, a Hoplite Pale. Absolutely delicious, exactly what you need on a hot day like this. Gonna go finish it off right now and well, I think I've said everything I need to say, so genuinely, genuinely, if you're on the Burmo, check, check, check this out. So that's it from me this week. Thank you for tuning in. 
If you have any thoughts, opinions or ideas that you would like to share with me, then catch me on Instagram at jblovesbeer, on Twitter at jblovesbeer, or untapped at jblovesbeer underscore. Next episode, I think I'm going to check out some Northern Monk brews. But till next time, that's it. Thank you very much.